Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. I am your host, Karen Litzy, and I want to thank you for joining me today. And in today's episode, you're in for a real treat. So if you are a physiotherapist or physical therapist that treats dancers, maybe you want to get into the dance industry. If you're a parent of a dancer, if you're a budding dancer yourself, or a professional dancer, this is the episode for you. So on this week's episode, I welcome Dr. Claire Hiller, to the podcast. Dr. Hiller has been awarded a postdoctoral fellowship at the University of Sydney to study ankle sprain and instability. Her current work aims to build on her doctoral studies, which included the development of the Cumberland Ankle Instability Tool, an objective measure of functional ankle stability, finding bilateral changes following unilateral ankle sprain, and proposing a modified model of chronic ankle instability. Dr. Hiller is also a practicing physiotherapist with a special interest in dance injuries, and she has been involved in convening, in convening specialist interest days at the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science annual meetings, and recently co-convened the Fourth International Ankle Symposium. So yes, if you haven't figured it out already, we're talking all about dance today. So in this episode, we talk about common injuries that a dancer may experience, uh, Dr. Hiller goes through an in-depth analysis of the lateral ankle sprain versus the high ankle sprain and, and a really great differential diagnosis. Uh, what is a pre-point assessment and when do you give a dancer the green light to go up on point? And how a medical professional can effectively collaborate with the dancer, the dance teacher, and the parent. And just like any other patient, the person in the center of all of this, in this case, is the dancer. The dancer is your patient. And so you need to collaborate with the team, keeping the, the best interests of that dancer or of that patient in the center. This is a great podcast. If you're interested at all in dance medicine or you work with dancers occasionally, it's a must listen. But before we get to that, I want to thank audible.com for sponsoring this episode. So if you would like a free download and a free month from Audible, just go to audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart. There is over 180,000 titles to choose from. I am currently listening to Grit. It's a great book if you haven't already read it or listened to it. I highly suggest hopping over to Audible and get your free month and your free download at audibletrial.com slash healthy, wealthy, smart. Okay, so on that note, let's get to today's podcast with Dr. Claire Hiller. Hi, Claire. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, all the way from Australia. And I know as Claire and I were going back and forth, I had to tell her, I admit, I am the worst with the time change. The absolute worst. I just, if for some reason, like I can, it just does not sink into my head. So thank you for, you know, setting up the times in a, in a much easier way for me. <laughs> no problem. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about dance medicine. And I feel like this is a really interesting niche for the physical therapy world, um, and we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about a little later in the podcast how if you are interested in dance medicine, how you might go about breaking into that uh, industry, because I feel like it is, it is definitely a niche industry, and you're working with a very specialized group of people. So my question for you is, Claire, where did your interests come from in working with dancers? Well, I was your typical recreational dancer. I danced as my sport all through my childhood and my adolescent years and I always did it for fun and I was never going to do anything professionally with it. Um, then I went off and did um, physio and I started in physio actually as a cardiopulmonary physio in intensive care. I had no interest in going into private practice or sports medicine or anything like that. So that's what I did. But then my husband got his job posted to London um, just after we got married. And I said to him, well, if I'm going to be dragged away from my career in Australia, I'm going to do something I'd really like to do. So I actually went to Laban and did a one-year dance course at Laban. Um, and just before I was going to start the one-year course, they rang me up and said, we notice on your CV that you're a physio and we've just lost our physio. Would you be interested in doing a bit of physio work? And so, of course, I said yes because that would help offset the fees. Um, and so I kind of fell into it by serendipity and then 
I got very interested in it, it reignited my interest. And then we went to New Zealand for work. And so I decided then, well, I'm going to make contact with the dancers there. And so I joined a sports medicine practice and made contact with local dancers to keep up my interest. Then, of course, I had a kid and I thought, oh, well, you know, what am I going to do with that? But I went back to doing private practice and I thought, you know, how am I going to help dancers? Because I become very interested in that. And the only way, because as I think you'd all know, there's no money in dance on many levels. So I thought the only way I can do research in dancers is to go back to university and do a research degree. So that's what I did. I went back to university and I started a research degree and I said to my supervisor, I have to do a project in dancers and it has to be portable. I have to be able to go to the dancers. And as in life it's serendipity, I took my research to the International Association of Dance Medicine and Science annual meeting. And at the annual meeting where I presented it, of course, I ran into another physio from Sydney who I'd never met before. And she said to me, I'm just being asked to set up a dance practice at a performing arts high school, but I can't do it. And I said, oh, well, I'd be interested in doing that, but I don't have enough of a background in detail, the detailed stuff of doing something at a performing arts high school. And she said, well, I'll be your mentor and you can be the person that does the work. So that's how it started. I started from research and then I fell into it. And of course, I've kept working as a physio with adolescent dancers since, and my research has also taken off, so I get to do both, which is excellent. So you get to do both, but it sounds like you sort of fell into it, but at the same time, you had to be very proactive and kind of say yes to those things, you know, because I feel like sometimes those things can happen and people, oh, I don't know, I don't know if I can do it, I don't know if I can do it, but you kind of made your mind up and said yes. You've got to grab you've got to grab opportunities and particularly I think we'll get to it later, but when you're talking about getting into um, dance uh, physio and treating dancers, grabbing opportunities and grabbing a mentor that can help you is fantastic. Um, and I have to say one of the amazing things about working with dancers, you know, as a way as if you're sitting there and you're thinking, I can't grab an opportunity, opportunities aren't coming to me. The thing I have really learned about working with dancers is that if you speak the dance language and if you find even one person who gets to know that you understand dancers and what they need, dancers will then come to you and then you can start to, to build up that way. So grab an opportunity, but you can also, if you're interested in the area, you can make an opportunity because they're they're a fantastic community to work with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've only I've never worked I've worked a little bit with ballet dancers here in New York City, but I worked at the Lion King for oh, wow. for quite some time and you're right, they are they're a wonderful group of people to work with. They're so thankful and appreciative and happy that you're there and you're willing to help them because I would see them right before show and during show. Um, and it's, it's fast paced. They're quick. They're tough. I mean, these are professional athletes, you know, they, they may not, as you know, they may not be making the millions and millions of dollars that other professional athletes make, but their bodies go through the, the abuse and the wear and tear and everything associated with it, which kind of leads me to the next, to our next, um, topic here. And that is, what are some common problems for dancers? So what are some common problems? We'll talk about that first, and then what can we do about it? Okay. So partly it depends on your population of dancers. Mm -hmm. So if we think about that, your professional dancers and your full-time uh, dance students will often have slightly different issues compared to your your dancer that you might be seeing locally or your training dancer. And then the sort of injuries you see in people who concentrate on ballet are going to be different from your hip-hop dancer. Of course. So let's, let's talk about ballet first. Okay. All right. So overall with ballet, most of the research will show that there's three areas that you have a problem with. It's either your back, your knees, or your ankles. And the order that that goes in in prevalence 
depends on the survey you do in your particular population. But those would be the common areas that have an issue. Um, back problems, for my adolescent dancers, a lot of that comes down to technique mm -hmm. in all forms of dances. And just like everything else we do with physical therapy, what do you find? The people who don't hold their back well, the people who are just letting everything hang out, the people who are sitting in the front of their hips, um, people who haven't been taught correctly about how to bend back with your whole spine instead of concentrating on your low back. Um, the people who, the other thing that happens is that people will be doing one style of dance and my, the common thing is they'll be doing ballet and then a guest teacher will come in, everybody gets very enthusiastic and they'll suddenly do a contemporary style or a hip-hop style where they're trying to get their middle of their back, their thoracic spine, to do a whole lot of movement that it's not been used to, just like with all other injuries and they'll come to you with a suddenly an acute neck or an acute middle back injury. So that's the main things that we see. Um, in backs and part of that comes down to then a partnership between your physio who's going to help you to strengthen up the part of your, your support that you need to have strengthened up and to do the acute management of your injury and the, the dancer about teaching them about what they might be doing correct posturally and how that translates into what that means in the particular dance they're doing and then the dance teacher talking to them about what the dance teacher can look for and how to help the, the dancer in the class or rehearsal or whatever and what to, to look for. And the other thing that happens is these days, well, two things that I'm thinking of here, my little pet peeves I like to call them. One of them, I don't know if it happens um, in the States, but in Australia what's happened is that people are doing a lot more dance you know, at the school level where you're entering a Steadfords and competitions and stuff and people have decided that the thing that looks really good and flash is to put a whole lot of acrobatic moves into their choreography. And what ha seems to happen is that instead of getting in a teacher who actually knows how to train bodies and how to give the proper support for doing acrobatic moves, people look on YouTube or what other people are doing, they think, oh, we can do that. And they just say to the kids, well, we're going to do this and this and this. And the dance teachers don't have an understanding of the support that's needed to do those moves correctly. And so you see all these kids doing amazing flexibility type things and roll, you know, walkovers with their backs and stuff, but they've got no concept of how to support their back while they're doing that because they haven't had that training. So that's one of my things that I'm really noticing these days that, um, in Australia, anyway, that's what seems to be happening. In it. Yeah, and I so. wonder if that's too doing the due to the rise in a lot of these dance competition shows, where yes, someone may be classically trained as a ballerina, but they're out there doing, like you said, a lot of acrobatics, a lot of incredible like jumps and leaps and flips and tumbling and things like that. So I'm uh, sure that plays into it. And that would be my my comment for. The, what we see in the back injuries in the younger people, there's mm -hmm. definitely a lot more competitions and shows and the look for the flash factor um, rather than the actual good technique, good control factor, which is what we'd actually like to see people um, being praised and rewarded for. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so anything else with backs? I mean, it sounds to me like, what what you're seeing and maybe what therapists should be looking out for is the right technique and the right strengthening to get the support in order to do that technique the correct way. So then the question becomes, you just can't be any old physio. You really have to know, like you said, the lingo. You have to understand how all of these movements should look and should happen and what muscles need to go into all of this, correct? Yes, yeah, so I'd say that from two ways. So obviously if you've had any form of dance training, you understand it from that point of view. But I know therapists who've got into the area from the other way where they've had no dance training because, again, um, therapists and other allied health professionals are trained to watch people move. That's, that's what we're trained to do. And so it's just a means if you're, if you're really interested in the area of training yourself again to look for particular things in movement that's required for dancers and then just learning another set 
of jargon. And dancers are very forgiving. You know, if you even show a glimmer of the fact that you have some understanding of just the basics of what goes into dance and that you know what to look for and how to look for it and you understand the body and how it moves and how it all connects, then you can be just as as good if that's a field you want to go into. But it really helps. It's just like I would not treat, a, well, cricket is probably a bad example. I wouldn't treat an American footballer, you know, because I, I don't understand the sport and I don't know what's involved. And if somebody came into my practice, I'd probably refer them on. But if I suddenly developed a passion for American football, I like to think that because of the training we've had, I could learn the lingo and I could go and see what's involved and what stresses need to be put on the body and and go down that track do if it. I want to. So don't give up if you haven't done it and you'd really like to. Yeah, no, that that's good advice. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so what happens, we'll save ankles for last because I know that's the crux of your research. So we'll save oh, that right. last. I but, get to me to stop if you start me on ankles. Right. So let's, let's go with knees. What are some common knee injuries that you're seeing? And again, as, as the therapist, where do we come in and, and at what point? Okay, so knee injuries, there are a lot of anterior pain for whatever cause that you might, um, it might be caused by, and I won't start naming names because I know there's lots of different nomenclature around the area, but there's uh, knee pain is a big one and ligament strain. So for your ballet trained dancers, they often get a lot of trouble on the medial ligament side and that's to do with the whole thing about turnout. So you know with dancers, they ballet dancers anyway, they have to turn in that turned out leg position with their feet pointing out sideways. Uh, of course, most of us don't have the uh, ability in our hips to get that twist and that turnout. So if you think about the fact your foot is planted on the floor but you haven't got the twist of the hip that you need, you get like a twist through the knee in an effect to get it. And most of the twist effect is on the inside of the knee. So a lot of adolescent dancers in particular will get the pain there because they're not doing, they're not lining up all the bits of their lower limb mm -hmm. correctly and they're putting too much twist through the knee. And then as soon as you bend your knee in a twisted position, well, I don't need to tell you the, the yeah. issues that you have. Yeah. So that's one of the common things. Dancers as well are like other adolescent athletes. You know, they get lots of Osgood-Schlatters and um, moving things because of the the jumping that they have to do and the rapid growth spurt and stuff like that. So if those sort of things are just like any other adolescent athlete that you want to see. You want to get it early. You want to make sure that you treat it well. You want to make sure you do a slow return to dance so that you're, you're looking after it on the way through and you're obviously looking for any sort of technique issues along the way. So what you have to do specifically for dancers might be a little different in terms of their technique, but a lot of the rest of the stuff that you need to do is exactly the same. One of the really interesting things about dancers is that dancers have a very low rate of ACL injury compared to other athletes. Um, and there's a lot of research that's been going on uh, out of Harkness there in New York with Mary Jean Lederbach mm -hmm. and... Evangelos Pappas here mm -hmm. at Sydney and others um, to look into why when dancers are mostly females and that's the people that mostly have ACL injuries in the athletic population, why dancers don't get that rate. They have an incredibly low rate of ACL injuries. That's interesting. And, and they still, they're still doing the jumping and the landing and just like a soccer player would, right? Yeah, we're, we're just, like, ACL, play, just assuming, like a basketballer, yeah. just like, absolutely. Yeah. And they do lots of jumping every day, continuously, on one leg, two legs, doing all sorts of things. So one of the um, theories is that the reason that dancers don't get it is because you're trained from such a very young age about landing and lining everything up in your lower limb so that your knee goes over the middle of your foot. It doesn't matter where your foot lands, your knee goes over the middle of your foot. So. So there's things going on now to look at that that seems to be true. That, that, um... Oh, that's interesting. How now that's – and do you think it's – so they're being trained starting from a young age and, and obviously doing a lot of it, you know, versus I guess if you're playing soccer or you're playing basketball, perhaps you're not – being trained how to land you're just being trained how to run and how to dribble a ball or how to shoot or how to kick versus 
really um, making this a part of the the must train aspects of the sport. Yes, yeah. uh, that's correct. So um, things are going on to look look more into this because it is definitely one of the things. So from a dance point of view, that's not something, for instance, that I know a lot about because I. I think I must have seen on the fingers of one hand in my 15-plus years of working with dancers, I could count how many ACL injuries have come in and I think only one or two of them have actually been in class and the other ones have been, you know, a sporting injury that happened Elsewhere. and then they came to see you. Yeah. Wow. that's I See, I would have never guessed that. That's really interesting. And so if – so for instance, if you have a dancer, an adolescent dancer coming in with – and complaining of medial knee pain, would you then want to look at the range of motion at the hip? Is that something you'd want to kind of trace back up so if they don't have that full turnout um, versus spending all this time? And, and maybe it comes from the ankles too, but we'll get, we'll get to yeah. that in a second. But that might be something you might want to look at. Oh, absolutely. So just like I think in a lot of physio, if you have anybody else come in, you're often looking at squats and half squats and looking at, you know, the control at the hip and the control at the knee and the control at the ankle. You do exactly the same thing with the dancer, but you're going to do it in the turned out. Well, if they're a classical dancer, you'll have to do that in a turned out position. If they're a contemporary dancer, it won't be so turned out. But you're going to be looking at how they do, well, dancers call them plies, not squats. But you know, how they do uh, how they do a plie, how they're landing from a jump, what they're doing with some of their other works, and so you're observing the similar things you do with other athletic populations, but just slightly tweaked for what the dancer actually has to do. And when you're observing your dancers, are you videotaping them? Because I would think landing off of a jump. I mean, that's a quick motion, and can the naked eye really pick that up, or is it just after years of training you know what to look for? You know, what would you recommend? I'm, of course, old school <laughs> since I'm older and so I use my eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I would say in a sense that's just like you're trained to look for different movements for different populations. Dance teachers are really well trained. They've been watching dancers jump for ages. People that have the real issues with this, it's not one of those things that are really fine where you want to have a biomechanical analysis. So it's not like training for that last half second or whatever in a swimmer or a, mm-hmm. a runner. Mm-hmm. You're looking at people who really are, you can see, they, they'll be aligned, they'll be aligned, they'll be aligned, and right at the very end you'll just see suddenly their knee will drop in or their foot will roll or their hip will sink. Um, so most things you can certainly pick up when you know what to look for and mm-hmm. you and do it. And if you get people to, you know, like do repetitive jumping, as you know, by the time they start to fatigue a little, it makes it worse. And then again, it's easier to see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. All right. So let's now go to ankles. So like I said, ankles is, is your thing. That's where a lot of your research uh, lies. So let's talk about some common injuries that you're seeing in ankles and what your research is telling you. Okay. So Far and away, like so many other sports, the most common injury that we see in dancers in ankles is ankle sprains. It's a common injury for everybody. The issue with dancers is that they can, they don't necessarily do it the common way because they're up on like the ball of their foot all the time. Um, so their ankle is, uh, well, we'd say it's 180 degrees. So if you think about it, it's really straight instead of having the the kink in it partway through. And so when dancers sprain their ankle, they have all the directions to be able to twist their ankle from as they come down, landing from a jump or coming off what we call the demi-point or the ball of the foot position. So it's really important with dancers to look for other injuries that can happen, subtle things at the same time, as well as the actual acute ankle sprain that we're used to looking. So dancers will often do something maybe at the base of the the outer part of their foot. Um, Dancers can also often have a high ankle sprain component, um, again, because they're coming down from that position. And that's often missed by people. Um, And that's one of the things that uh, research that we're doing now we're very interested in. Um, I don't know if it's the same in the States, but in Australia, like doing your syndesmosis has become like one of the buzzwords and even Mm -hmm. the commentators talk about it. 
Um, and it seems like it's increasing in, in prevalence. But I think it's probably always been there. It's just that we didn't recognize it and we didn't look for it. And it's not the big up high ankle sprains you have to worry about because they're the ones where people don't walk and they see things. But it's the, the, the what we might call a lesser grade of sprain and because people will go back far too soon if they have that. It's, re it's a really important injury to stay longer off um, than even your lateral ankle sprain. And can you explain, because I know a lot of people, that term high ankle sprain, can you explain exactly what that is and kind of what, what is involved with that, just so that people understand that it's not just a sprain that's just a little higher above the ankle? Do you know what right. I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's quite hard in a sense because uh, different people might have a different definition of syndesmosis and that's kind of one of the things that not everybody's in agreement on. But if you think about it, you have the two bones that come down in your leg, the, the tibia and the fibula, and at the bottom there, those two bones have got to stay together because underneath those two bones, you have the top of the ankle, which is like a dome. And if you think about just the physics of it, if you have a dome there and two sticks sticking out of it, if the dome pushes up there, it, should, it makes the sticks go apart, a bit like a wishbone. So you obviously don't want that happening. That will not help you walk around or do anything. So you have ligaments and um, tissues at the bottom of your ankle there that help to hold those two bones together. And they are really strong um, and they're very stable. So a high ankle sprain can be the straining of a number of the ligaments that hold that together, whether it's the front ones, anterior, posterior, or the middle ones. And then it can be just the ligaments or it can be the the connective tissue that holds the two bones together, which goes a fair way up your leg, actually. Mm -hmm. If you have an injury, like I was saying before, that's severe, you know, one where you really do separate those two bones, you'll know about it. You won't be walking anywhere. You'll be going to the emergency department. You know, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, um, yeah. But you can sprain the ankle, the ligaments at the front or the back of that. And if you think about that, what you want those ligaments to do is to heal really strong again. You don't want to be doing anything that's going to be putting a stress or a, a tension on them. Now, the issue with that is, is that if you don't pick up that somebody's got that involved with a, an, a what do I, I don't want to say, an order, with a lateral ankle sprain or the sprain of the ligaments just on the outside of your foot, a lot of the rehab that we do is all about getting the movement of your foot back, being able to flex your foot up, point your foot down. If you're doing physio techniques or exercises or anything where you bring your foot up, that's actually where the dome um, pushes more up into those, into those two bones and spreads them apart. Well, you don't want any stress or stretching happening at the beginning. So you shouldn't be doing any of that exercises mm. and you shouldn't be doing that technique. But as physios, we're kind of trained to go, right, we've got to get people back as soon as possible. So we're going to get out there and we're going to do all this manual therapy and we're going to give you all these exercises and we're going to get you to get back as soon as possible and these people need to not be doing that. And how is the therapist, how do you differentially diagnose a just a, a regular ankle sprain versus that high ankle sprain? Okay, so obviously a, a gold standard would be an MRI, which most of us cannot afford to do at all. But mostly what you've got to do is look for it. So there are some manual tests that you can do if you've got a suspicion about this, which um, one of my uh, PhD students from a few years ago, Amy Smann, has done a whole lot of work on and it's been published. Um, and there's a, a few particular tests you can do if you're suspicious. And, of course, what I've done, discovered now in my life is I now just always do them. Even when I have somebody walking with a, a, a lateral ankle sprain, I think it's no way that the syndesmosis should be involved. I go, you know what, I've seen too many times where I've thought that and they've work, walked in and then they've, they've had that involved. Mm -hmm. And if I hadn't looked for it, I wouldn't have found it. So all I'd say is look for it. And in dancers, if they come in and they say they've come off the demi point or the point, You've just got to look because the chances of them doing it from that position are, are much higher for them. And what, what sort of tests do you look for? You could be a specific, you could be technical here. Like oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> be technical, yeah. be specific. Okay, so you do uh, the external dorsiflexion test, okay. um, which, which will tell, which is a very um, sensitive test. So if it's, if it's positive on that, then you might do another test, the squeeze test which is a very specific test. So if you've done the, ex the dorsiflexion external um, rotation test um, and you're thinking, yep, well, that was positive, you then do the squeeze test 
Um, and then if that's positive. And positive, you, positive is pain. Pain, yeah. So you yeah. get pain in the area of the upper ankle. Got it. Got it. Pain will be positive. Okay, so external dorsiflexion test, squeeze test are yep. good sort of differential diagnosis tests. So if someone's coming in, and like you said, what, what, if they're coming in, you have your dancer coming in, what is their big complaint? Is it pain? Is it pain uh, superior to the ankle, lateral to the ankle, both? Are they limping? <laughs> This is one of, the, one of those interesting things. So if your syndesmosis is involved, one of the really interesting things that came out of Amy's research, so this wasn't in dancers actually, it was in footballers, but it's really the same thing, is that you can't necessarily rely on pain as an indicator. So when you, when you what we palpate the ligaments, they will often be sore. So it's kind of a, as a given. But when you're looking at the history, we think that you can tell how bad an injury is by how much pain you have. And one of the things that's come out about syndesmosis injury is that this isn't true. You either get the people that they've had, they give you the most amazing story of this incredible thing and you think, how have you not come out of that with a broken ankle? And you say, so how sore is it? How, how painful is it? He goes, oh, no, it was hardly painful at all. I had no trouble. Or that somebody comes along and says something where you think, oh, my goodness, how did you manage to injure yourself just, you know, like tripping over, doing something like that? And they say, I'm in so much pain, I can hardly move, I had to sit on the couch for days, and you sit there going, wow, you've got a, a low pain threshold, you know, you've got far too much pain compared with him. So both of those things seem to be true with people with syndesmosis injury. So you would, the pain will be in the upper part, but it may not be the main thing that they're feeling, particularly in people where it's a part of a lateral ankle sprain of course the first thing you get with a lateral ankle sprain is it's painful and it puffs up like a balloon and it gets right. bruising and people are distracted from the fact that actually the high ankle might be involved got it got it okay so so with ankles you're if if someone is if a dancer is coming in with this lateral with a lateral ankle sprain it's a good idea just to clear out the possibility of a high ankle sprain or syndesmosis Injury. Absolutely. Particularly yeah. if they've done anything coming off demi point or point. You've, okay. And you've not just the syndesmosis with that, you've got to do the whole foot. Yeah. Because yeah. they can do things up and down from twisting in ways that the rest of us would never imagine you could do it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it really is just such a unique population to work with, especially when we're talking about ballet dancers, because they're putting their body through movements that are not very natural. That is entirely true. And, and therefore, they do things that you would never expect a body injury to happen. So uh, one of the things I'll put in here is while I've said, you know, ankle sprains are uh, just about the most common single um, ankle injury that you will see, I often live for the day that I have somebody come into my practice who has only done an ankle sprain mm. because often what you're seeing is not an acute type injury but some sort of injury that's come on slowly over time and then they don't often by the time they come to see you it's often not still in one place you know it's kind of the pain like with other people pain's moved up and down and trying to be a detective to work out what it is that's caused this and what else is affected and which is actually the cause and which is the effect can take quite a while and are so you explains nice yeah <laughs> are you seeing any sort of navicular bone issues you know because sometimes you can have that kind of quote-unquote drop of that navicular bone, especially after these, like a bad ankle sprain, or even just over time, all that kind of landing and pounding, right? So is that something that you're seeing? You know, you can see navicular, and you can often see when the adolescence you get the overuse um, issue with the tendon pulling on the navicular bone. But the thing we more often see is actually with the cuboid. Cuboid, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so lots of issues with the cuboid. And that's definitely another thing to look out for in dancers. If you have somebody coming in, so they'll, they'll often have a problem with the cuboid after a, a lateral ankle sprain, but they can also just have it normally. And they'll come into you and the thing that they will say is, they'll say, I can't, inverted commas, work through my foot. So they'll be complaining that as they go to point their foot or rise up onto the demi-point, they're getting the pain 
on the lateral side of their foot. Mm -hmm. And the fabulous thing about them doing it, well, fabulous, if you see what I mean, about dancers doing a cuboid is that often it just takes a bit of manual therapy to work on the cuboid and then some taping to hold it in place and they walk out of your practice going, wow, miracle worker. Yeah, I've had the, I had that happen once at the Lion King. The, a dancer came in and she said, it's just, it's all here, it's in the lateral and I, you know, I test, I'm like, mm, boy, this cuboid is, mm-mm, no. So little manual therapy, put it back in, taped her up, told her to, to late to, she had to drop out of the show that, that day. I think right. it was a matinee. She came in the matinee. She had to drop out of the evening show. I'm there on Sunday and she comes, she goes, I don't know what you did, but that was amazing. <laughs> and you're right. That's exactly, she's at the same, she's like, it was, what happened? Yeah, I know you look so good. It's great. Yeah, 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 you do. You look very like, you know. That you're you're high on that person's list, but yeah, I've seen, and you know, that is probably one of the only times I've ever seen a cuboid, something where right. I had to actually do a cuboid whip or manual therapy for a cuboid and tape it. It is not that common, in in other populations. In other, I was going to say, in other populations, it is it's not definitely something yeah. to look for in dances. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, anything else with ankles that you can think of? Uh, so the thing, my, the message that I give to anybody with an ankle sprain, since it's absolutely one of my passions, is to say that people often think that an ankle sprain is simple and they should just, you know, walk it off or it'll be fine in a few days or whatever, and they don't go and see anybody about it. Now, believe it or not, there was actually an article I saw in the New York Times, I think it might only be last week or the week before, which was about... Um, the problem with thinking about that with an ankle sprain because ankle sprains can actually go on to be an ongoing issue for people. And with my other hat on, I'm really passionately interested in how to stop people becoming the chronic, what we call chronic ankle sprain um, because then you have troubles with all sorts of other issues and it's with you for life almost. Yeah, so, major. you can have major instability issues. Absolutely. That, so yeah, you, you can't, what I would say to people is learn how to do good first aid, seek some sort of uh, help early on, rehabilitate it properly. And in, obviously in dances, you've got to rehabilitate them, not only for the usual, what we call flat, but you've got to be able, it's a longer rehabilitation process because you've got to get them back to being in that much more unstable position as well that they have to dance in. And of course, we know that what people are like, when the pain goes, everybody goes, I'm better, <laughs> and off they go and do everything without realising actually you have to do a, keep doing a whole lot of work to work on your muscles and your control and your proprioception and everything else so that you won't have those long-term instability issues. Right, right. So in, in other words, if you're a dancer, if you're the parent of a dancer with an ankle sprain, don't just say, oh, just stay off of it for a couple of days. Get in to see someone and get this taken care of and treat it seriously yes treat yeah. it seriously from the point of view of getting something done about it but don't freak out <laughs> right 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 but don't don't just say oh you know when you're because sometimes people can have an ankle sprain they're on crutches and then they don't even think like after it's oh you don't have to go see a physio just you know like you said walk it off and just go back to dance class that's right and so not not a good idea not a, not a good idea. Not a good idea. Okay. So what are some, so we just sort of segued in nicely. So if you're the parent of a child who is dancing, what are some things that a parent, as a parent or even as the dancer, that you want to catch early so they don't turn into something that's really damaging? Because, you know, don't forget, you're working with adolescent dancers. These are kids. You know, they've got a full life ahead of them, right? Not yep, all of absolutely. them are going on to be professional dancers. So what are some things that, some advice that you can give a parent or the dancer of, boy, if you feel this, let's treat this seriously. Obviously, one being an ankle sprain. Yes. Other things it's hard to say. I guess what I would say is it a lot of it depends on your dance school and their school of thought, right? So some... Ways of training is 
you, you just power on through everything. You know, the, the life of a dancer is to live with pain, it's to be able to cope with pain. So when you have pain, it's nothing unless you're kind of laid out on the floor and can hardly move. Um, but what I would say is that if your child is complaining of pain and they're consistently complaining of pain, don't wait until they're nagging you that they're having pain. Listen to them when they start to say, I'm getting a pain, you know, a pain in my back, a pain in the inside of my knee, you know, a pain in my ankle, a pain in my foot. You want to, you obviously know your child best, so, but you want to try and work out when are you getting this pain? Is it every day when you dance? Is it all the time? Does it more important, not almost more importantly, but importantly is, is it only painful in your dance class and then it goes away and it's not a problem? Or are you starting to feel it at other times during the day? And often what happens is it'll start in the dance class, the pain, and, it, and the, the student doesn't necessarily say anything because, you know, at the end of the class it goes away and they forget about it till next time they're in the class and they're doing that movement and it's sore again. Um, but then over time what they'll find is that it'll, be, it'll stay sore after class or they might wake up in the morning and it's sore. So really if you're a parent, if they say, oh, I was in class today and I got a pain, you know, in my foot, just try and find out. You know, was it just one step? Is How long have they been feeling the pain in their foot? Do they get the pain at any other times? So catching that early and sending it, sending them to somewhere just to have it checked out, I always think is money well spent because I know that, you know, money is often tight with parents and trying to get in to see somebody um, is very difficult. But if you find somebody you can trust, catching it then is much cheaper than you having your child um, so psychologically cheaper, you know, your child might not have to be off dance for a long period of time. They might not have to go to specialists. They might not, you might not be forking out a whole lot more money because instead of seeing it early on and only having to see a, you know, a physio a couple of times and then being given a program of things for prevention, you might end up where you're off for a while and you have to go and see the physiotherapist over a number of weeks or heaven forbid a number of months and go and see a, a specialist, you're better off knocking it off early. So listen to the complaints of pain, find out how often they're occurring. Um, and I know that's hard because I have also been guilty of going, oh, I'm just too busy. It'll be fine. It'll go away. And then, you know, you discover a bit later, actually, it was a lot more serious than you realized. Yeah. So, so as a parent, or even as the, the dancer, just looking for consistency of pain, looking for, um, is it happening in inside of class and outside of class? And is it with the same move every time? Um, and where is it? Where are you feeling yeah. it? Okay, I think that's great advice. And and getting on it early, I think, yeah, is is huge because you don't want these things, like you said, getting out of hand and, and then you having to see all these specialists and, and their children, you know, they, we're talking about kids, right? And so you don't want to have any lingering problems as they no. get older. Um, no, absolutely. Now, what are your thoughts on uh, if parents or if the dancers should have a pre-point assessment? Ah, yes. And, and what that means, actually. Yeah, okay. let's, let's define what that means first, and then is it necessary? <laughs> yeah, okay. So as you know, if you're doing ballet, every little girl dreams of when they can get their point shoes and they can start learning to dance on point. So a pre-point assessment is about whether your child is actually ready for that step of putting your point shoes on. Because it's not just about being able to put the point shoes on and balance. You've got to have the, the strength and the control at a certain level before you can safely get up on your point shoes. And not just slave safely, once you get up there, actually be able to do something and enjoy it. Um, so it's really important uh, to have that uh, assess whether your child is ready for that or not. So in my mind, it's not, it's, it's like a, a few pronged approach. Your dance teacher is the one who watches your child in class all the time. So the, your professional dance teacher is the one who knows really how they're being able to be controlled, how well they're balancing, how well they are controlling rising, um, and whether they're ready from a dance point of view. So it should be a partnership. But often you might want to also seek uh, an assessment from a medical professional um, who's looking more at individual muscle strength, range of motion, particularly the ankle and the foot, 
um, the control of the, the core, the abdominal muscles, the range in other parts of the body as well. I use it as a great time to have a quick look at other things that are going on um, in the body. But you really want to know that they are strong enough and have enough range of motion. And what you want to know that the medical professional can tell you that the dance teacher can't is if you pick up something that's not quite right. So you're using your physio, for instance, to say, okay, they don't seem to have quite enough movement in their ankle. Okay, is this something that is fixable or is this something that the, the child is probably never going to be able to do it? Um, and the, the, your, your physio or other medical professional is the sort of person that can look at these things and go, yep, we can do this, here's some exercise. So if you, if you don't have enough strength or endurance, then that's often you know, like a strength and endurance program. But sometimes you don't know whether it's the lack of strength, the lack of endurance or the lack of range. It's the reason why your child can't get into the position that they need to be able to get. So it's a partnership between the parents, the dancer, the dance teacher and the professional who's going to give you more information. So where I am, they, the dance teachers think, oh, yes, you know, they're at a level of training where they're suitable um, so I'm going to send them to the, to, they come to see us and then we'll do the medical pre-point assessment. But then it goes back to the teacher to so that the teacher then knows where they're at and what the problems may or may not be. And the te we might say, yes, they've got the range, they've got the strength, but the teacher then looks at them in class and goes, okay, from a physio perspective, they're okay, but from my perspective, I'm still not quite happy, so I'll hold them back. Or they'll come from us and we'll say, this is the issue, and the teacher will go, okay, right, I can see what they're saying about that, so now I'll have to wait until they've got enough strength to do that. And you want to do that because starting a child too young, before their bones are ready, before their muscles are ready, can cause long-term issues. And, you know, the number of injuries that you can do if you're not prepared for point shoes because really that's the most unstable surface you can have. Sure. You know, you're just looking for trouble. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that makes so much sense. And and I, I think it's important to drive home the point that it is a collaboration amongst all yep. the members of this team, including the dancer. Oh, absolutely. The dan It's the dancer's body, it's the dancer's dance, and they should be the person in the center of all of this. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's, that's fantastic. So now, for any therapist out there listening to this podcast who wants to get into mm -hmm. working with dancers and wants to learn more about dance medicine, where can they go? What are some, um, some great ways to kind of break into the industry? Because it can seem to be a little insular. Um, and what are some resources they can, they can kind of look out for? Okay, so there's a, a few ways that I think about doing it. So if, you, if you're really serious um, and maybe you're, you're younger and you're not, um, haven't been out for years, like decades like I was um, professionally, you, there's quite a number of like dance medicine courses around now that are run in universities all over the world. And somewhere like the IADAMS um, website, International Association of Dance Medicine and Science, often has like a resource section where you can go and see common places. In fact, you know, Google is your friend really. If you put dance medicine in whichever country you're in, you'll find institutes that are doing dance medicine degrees now, although they are mostly from the point of view of that you're the dancer who wants to get into dance medicine rather than that you're the health professional. But if you've had no background in dance, maybe you would want to do that. Then there's uh, often workshops if you keep your eyes out in different places. There's quite a number of um, dance therapy groups who are more than happy and wanting to share what they know with people who are interested. So, again, it's keeping your eyes out. Where you are in... Um, oh, New York City, before. yeah. Yeah, so the Harkness um, Centre yep. for Dance Injuries runs lots of professional courses from like weekend courses to having mentorships. But they're not the only place. They're just a, a bit more uh, high profile when you, you hit Google. But, you know, in Australia we have a, a dance therapy group um, that with, with interested um, people. And so and when we run courses we have not just the people who work only with dancers who come to pick up something but lots of people who work with um, they're in a general uh, sporting or a general medicine practice and they see 
the the dancers like I was mm-hmm. that are there having fun and they're down at the local dance school um, and they're not going to go off, you know, like to the big centre because it's too far away and they just want to find somebody local. So there's often quite a lot of courses uh, around if you keep your eyes out for doing things like that. Cool, yeah. I mean, you know, not everybody's going to be working with Misty Copeland one day. Ah, uh, uh, no, that's right. <laughs> but it, it <laughs> that being said... If you're interested in in dance medicine, you can get in at different levels, right? And you can kind of take it from there. And and I'll have links to all of that over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. Um, so if you didn't, if you missed it, don't worry about it. All of those resources will be in the show notes. Um, okay, so we're gonna we've got to kind of wrap things up. That went by super fast, I have to say. Um, so if you have uh, any parting thoughts that you'd like to leave the audience when it comes to dance medicine and physiotherapy? Um, What I would say is from the dancer side of things, find yourself a physiotherapist that you're really happy with and you're comfortable with, who understands what you need and what your body needs um, and hold on to them really, really tight and use that as a referral for other places because the like you said we're often a very tight-knit community and even if you're changing countries you will probably find that people can recommend people to you in other places so definitely do that seek help early um get onto it fast physios who work in this area are not interested in saying to you um okay stop dancing for the next three weeks we will do everything we can within the safety to allow you to continue to do your dancing whilst you have an injury. And it has to be said that dance is one of the great things you can often do, keep doing something for most injuries. You hardly ever have to stop completely. So don't be afraid to go because there's somebody's going to tell you not to do it. We don't. We will try and keep you doing stuff as much as we possibly can. And from the physio side, I would say seek out other people who are interested. They're a fantastic group of people to work with. You will have a fabulous, loyal customer base and it's a great field to be in yeah agreed and if people want to find out more about you and your research where can Mm -hmm. they find that well I've given you my email so I'm always happy to talk to people by email I'm afraid I'm really bad in the social media space but we've just started a dance research group so we have a Facebook page which is called the dance research collaborative so you can contact us through there and see what we're up to uh, and we're always happy to chat to anybody and take any ideas. And anybody who would like to think about coming and doing research with us would be very welcome. And, and again, you're at the University of Sydney. At the University yes. of Sydney. Down in Australia. Not a bad place to be. Um, it looks beautiful. Well, Claire, thank you so much for coming on. I think this was such great information for both, the, for both, for all parents, dancers, and physios and other medical professionals. So thank you so much for coming on. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Yes, and everyone, thank you for listening. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Karen Litzy NYC. And again, everything we talked about today, you can find at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. So thanks so much for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. <laughs>